Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, it's good to see you. Nice full room. Good to have you all here today. This is uh, the this is the day after. <laughs> Huge event here last night for the trunk or treat Halloween. Thanks for all you did. It was we a blast. We had people that came from there that normally come and stuff, and they yeah. were so impressed with it. And we may have gotten a, a new family to come. Well, it was such a great outreach. Uh, it just shows you the. The uh, response—I mean, there had to be at least fifteen hundred people somewhere in that neighborhood. It over—it it overwhelmed. We bought four hundred hot dogs, and they ran out. We had to, and then when we went to buy more, we could only get like a hundred more, and then not enough buns, and and you know everybody didn't come through the food line, but there was literally probably—I would guess thousand to fifteen hundred somewhere in that neighborhood. It was—it was just a tremendous turnout. And I think it was fun to see the expressions on the people. So many of the people that did come through the food line, it kind of this is the story that kind of sums it all up. At the end of the night, I was picking up the cocoa, and uh, I heard this voice say, Sir, and I turned around. It was a, I don't know, maybe a 15, 16-year-old teenage boy. I'd seen him come through the food line earlier. Uh, Nice-looking nice young man, and he just said, Sir. And I said, Yes. He said, Don't worry, I don't want anything. I just wanted to tell you, what a wonderful evening this was. You did such a great job. We've enjoyed ourselves so much. Good. That's wonderful. A polite, kind, from a teenager. Yeah. So that was pretty special. Uh, we, had, we had a lady that came, has started coming to the food pantry the last two weeks, and she's a caregiver for her brother-in-law, and he's older. Like, he's probably yeah. in his late 40s or 50s. But he's an eight-year-old, she said. And, uh, oh, in his mind, yeah. And uh, she said he loves to trick-or-treat. And she said, I made him a pizza costume even one time. And she said, um, do you think he'd be welcome? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. You bet. And I said, you'll, you'll find he will be very he's not welcome. not much bigger than a kid, really. He's real short. And um, so, but he definitely looks older. Oh, yeah. And, uh he was treated wonderfully. That's beautiful. And so she came. Beautiful. When they came to eat, um, she told me, she said, oh, my. Mm. She said he had such a good time. Good, good, good. And um, she said was treated so kindly, which, you know, yeah, isn't everywhere. always the case. It's not I'm always sure. the case, yeah. And then she, they mm. came and had dinner because we'd good. ask him to come. And good. She said, wonderful first experience. And she good. said, I did not realize how much I needed that message. That's wonderful. She came so. in early while I she came in to use the restroom. Yeah. Because I, I got here about 10, I guess. Uh -huh. She came in and she sat down in there and talked to me for over an hour. Wow. And kind of poured her heart out to me wow. about what they've yeah. been through because she had a business and oh, wow. she has a heart condition now and she can't even mm. run her business anymore because her doctor told her she can't do it anymore. Yeah. She cleaned houses for so 30 for, years. So for the first time they've needed help. Yeah. Right, right. It's yeah. real said, hard for her to take well, accept. She well, said we've made it so much easier here. She so. found a successful, uh, an opportunity to really open up yeah. where she doesn't always mean, feel up. And, Plus and, we didn't make her feel like she was <clears throat> uh, coming and getting right. Uh, uh, charity, I'll put right, it that way. Right, right. Yeah. We made made her feel welcome and yeah. loved. Beautiful. And it just it just made. And then for them different. to come to this event, mm -hmm. 
Because um, she's never come to the Wednesday night deal before. Yeah. yeah. Well, she yeah. picked a good night to come. She they oh, yeah. picked a wonderful <laughs> night. And, it was and good. The, the people of our church were so kind. Good. Well, you know, the community came in and had a wonderful time. Yes. My great-grandson was here. Remember Casey? Oh, yeah. He was here. Was yeah, I remember Casey. Daniel. He was a little old man. Oh, good. He made his own costume. He did his own thing. Oh, uh, how about that? Like a little man with heavy eyebrows and, yeah. and beard and glasses down his nose and a cane. Well, <laughs> they were about, they were here around 6.30, quarter to 7. They were about running out of things. That's right. We did. We, 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 were, we were running out fast. It was a lot of people. I, I think the... You know, the beautiful thing is people came in to see the church. I heard several comments of people that said, well, we expected it all to just be about, you know, dressed like Mary and Joseph or something. You know, just you know, they just thought we'd try and church them up, you know, you know rather than just relate to the community. And so people were just having such a, a joyful time. And, you know, I thought about that and I thought, you know, it's a safe place. You know, yes. if, you're, if you're a family and, you, you know, exactly. you, you want to go somewhere that's safe. And neighborhoods aren't so safe sometimes anymore. So it explains why so many churches have done it for so many years. This is the first time we've done it, but it also shows there's plenty of room for everyone. <laughs> I have another friend who's with another church who said, we're going to do that next year. So it's kind of well, catching on. I, I, don't, I know that we're taking up your time. That's okay. I, I wanted to just it's tell your you, time, actually. <laughs> I wanted to just tell you this. We were talking the other day about Bible studies. And, um, you know, I told somebody how much I've gotten out of this Bible study. And I said, you know, it, it's not that I haven't read the Bible, <laughs> but everything was kind of a picture, and it was like a black and white picture, like in a coloring book. Yeah. And you're putting the color oh, yeah, into definitely. things Thank you. for definitely. me. I see things differently because you're mm. doing the little things that I don't mm. read in the Bible. I'm, I'm here in the background of things. Yeah. And, Good. and you're, paint, you're painting these pictures Good. of Wonderful. how far things were and how long it took them yeah. and what they ate and everything. So yeah. You're you're coloring my color book. Here. Well, thank you. That's good. I love to color in books, so <laughs> that's fitting. Uh, you know, it is. Uh, I appreciate those comments. It is. Uh, it's not that. Uh, it's not that I have all this knowledge. I just know which books to read <laughs> before I come in and talk to you. But that's that's the <laughs> but, whole thing. Uh, it, it's you know, study is something we can all do. And so what I'm trying to do is teach you how to study. Um, don't be afraid to think critically about the word and say, hmm. Why did he say that? Wonder what that is. How can I look that up? These kind of things. Because there's always something behind the obvious. And uh, this morning's a great example. We're in John chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, please open it to John chapter 12. We're going to start John chapter 12. And look at just the first 11 verses this morning. We've been talking through the story of the raising of Lazarus. Spent four weeks on that one. And uh, we know that we are now entering the last week of Jesus' life on earth before the cross. John tells us very, very pointedly at the beginning of chapter 12, it's six days before the Passover. We know this is the third Passover John has mentioned. We know this is kind of a three-year ministry of Jesus. That's how we know this is a three-year ministry that Jesus, uh, that Jesus has on earth. And... Very importantly, John is going to tell a story here that in some way all four Gospels tell, but they tell it differently, and I really believe they're telling, a couple of them are different 
occasions. We're going to look at that too. Because it can be confusing when one gospel writer talks about a woman anointing Jesus' feet in a certain way and who she is and doesn't really give a name but tells us that she was a sinful woman. And another gospel writer like John starts talking about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus Mm -hmm. and how she does this anointing of his feet. And, And so you start getting confused. Well, are these the same person? Is this the same occasion? When did these happen? There's a lot of details to kind of break apart. So we're going to look at the story of the anointing of Jesus' feet and try and look at it and ask some questions of the text and compare it to the other three Gospels, actually, this morning. So we'll look at a couple of the others uh, and let you see the comparison. But let me, I put a couple of notes on the board. Let me point out just a couple of things. We're going to look this morning at some of the customs that were customary of how you treated guests. Uh, we're going to look at what is this anointment that, that is used, this anointing that, that is used, this oil. Uh, and, and then I want to talk about Judas and his role in this. And, and I want to compare two Greek words. This is our one we've learned in chapter 11. Embrimaho, I cannot say that word very good. <laughs> but you remember that one. Remember that one where it said Jesus was indignant, okay? Or deeply moved, it said. Embrimahaomahi. And then we're going to look at a counterpart to that word this morning. So, let's begin with the word, the scriptures. Let's, let's look at the first 11 verses together. I'll read them as I usually do from the, the Revised Standard Version. And let's begin. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly ointment of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the ointment. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had had the money box, he used to take what was put into it. Jesus said, let her alone. Let her keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And when the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came, not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus also to death, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let's stop there. I I want to just point out, usually usually I like to go back to the beginning, but I just want to point out, um, something that, that I think is so fascinating in that last line that we read in verse 11. Because on account of him, meaning Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. I think it's interesting that John said going away. Away from where? Away from the Jewish faith. Away from, it's a drastic change. This is a big change. They're going away from the establishment of the people of God, the Jews, 
John always uses this phrase, the Jews. They're going away from that. As if to say, in the mind of the people there, to go and follow and believe in Jesus was to go away from what you had, you know, they, you saw that the, the big thing that they wanted to do was their first way that they wanted to, to uh, reprimand people and try and stop them from following Jesus was to kick them out. Kick them out of the synagogue, kick them out of the community, kick them out of the temple, you know, because Judaism was so much more than a religion, it's a way of life. And they were going away from that. Uh, it was changing the way they lived. So I thought that was an interesting parenthetical comment there that I wanted to make. But let's go back to the top of the scripture here and let's think this through. Jesus has come to Bethany. We know that he had went to Ephraim. He went, you know, they were going to try and uh, kill him again. So he snuck away to Ephraim. Now he's back to Bethany, which we know is that little community on the east side of the Mount of Olives, just about two miles from Jerusalem, uh, the old city, it's not very far away at all. And he's uh, coming there, and it, it appears that they are uh, throwing a dinner party. Right? Mm-hmm. Who's throwing the party? Martha and, and, her, and her sister. And Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Yeah. Do we know that from reading John's text, or well, do we assume that? Kind of the drift is that that's they're throwing the party. Because they're there, and Martha's serving the food. <clears throat> See how easily we assume things. It's very easy to, I, you look at, it says here, there, verse 2, there they made him a supper. Well, who's they? We have to always ask questions of the text. Text, who is they? He doesn't say who they is. We, we can assume the last time he was there, he went to stay at Martha and Mary's house, Lazarus' house. But it doesn't tell us that. Now, if we look at the, let's look at some parallel. There are parallels to this story. In Matthew chapter 26 and in Mark chapter 14, we see some parallels to this story. Okay, so let's let's go over and look at them for a minute here. I'm going to go back to Matthew first. Matthew chapter 26. Now, we know we're in the 26th chapter, so we're almost at the end, and we're, we're near that last week of Jesus' life in Matthew's gospel also. Okay, we're before the, right before the crucifixion. And beginning in verse 6, this is what Matthew says. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. (coughs) Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give to me? So he's going to move on with the story there, uh, with Judas going to sell out Jesus. Let's take that story of Matthew and tell me what's different. What does Matthew tell us that's different? Where they're at. 
It's, it's at the home of somebody called Simon the leper. Okay. And I had always thought that, that that Mary, because they said she was a sinful woman, and was, that was Mary Magdalene, until I had read more on it. Okay, so put a pin in that. Okay, remember what Dorothy just said about There's because so many it's Marys. <laughs> okay. Now in Matthew, does it say that's a sinful woman? But one of them does. You're right. We're going to put a pin in. We're going to get there. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Matthew doesn't say it, though. He does name the house, Simon the leper. Okay. What else is different about Matthew? Yes. One was anointed with his head, and another one anointed with his feet. Interesting, isn't it? One anoints the head, one anoints the feet. Yes. Okay. Any, anybody else see anything else different there? All the disciples complained instead of just Judas. Very interesting. All the disciples complained instead of just Judas. Very interesting. So we got some real differences here to compare. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 14. Uh, not too far away. Mark 14 somewhere here. Let me get to it. Uh, here we go. Beginning with verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And then again, like Matthew, he follows with Judas leaving and going to try and sell out Jesus. So, again we see the house of Simon the leper, right? Again we see... Uh, an alabaster flask of very costly uh, oil. And we see her pouring it where? On his head. On his head again, that's right. We see, who criticizes in this one? Well, all of them. Well, no, it says several of them. It says several people, doesn't it? Um, why was the, And I'm reading in the New King James on my, my Bible here. It says... Uh, there were some who were indignant among themselves, okay? So it doesn't even say that it's disciples. It just says, because this is a supper, it's a party, and it, it might be a lot of people there. It's just some of the people in the NIV yeah. came angry. So now let's read Luke. So we've well, looked it, at... And it doesn't, it doesn't say who the woman was. It doesn't. Nobody doesn't say here who the woman is. Neither Matthew nor Mark has said who the woman was, right? Okay. So let's go over to Luke chapter 7. Let's see what Luke has to say. And remember there are three Gospels that have much similarity. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is wholly other and different. But in this case it's kind of interesting. So let's look at Luke chapter 7. And I think I'm going to begin at verse 36. Verse 36, then one of the Pharisees asked him, meaning Jesus, that's the capital H in that word him, okay. 
Then one of the Pharisees asked him to meet, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, who was a sinner. (laughs) That's what you said, Dorothy. (laughs) And behold, a woman in the city, who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, okay, so spoke to himself, he's kind of mumbling, right? This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, now we hear the Pharisee's name, don't we? Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. I love that intercourse there. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. teacher, just say it to me. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose the one who, whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. Says, Notice he's turning to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. Okay, Pay attention to Jesus' movements here. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. Jesus is looking at the woman. Do you, but I'm talking to Simon over here. Do you see this woman? (laughs) He wants her to have eye contact to what, what he's about to say. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. And he's saying all that, looking right at the woman. Imagine how she feels so so beautiful. But to whom little is forgiven. No, he said, therefore I say to her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. That's a beautiful story. But it's quite different than the other three, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We're learning some different things here. Could there have been more than one party? Aha. Uh-huh. I think clearly there, I personally feel, some scholars debate this, but I really think the majority of them come down on this side. There's more than one event. Jesus went to more than one dinner party. May have gone to Simon the leper's house more than once. But I think clearly this episode in Luke is a different episode, a different party. Mostly because of what? What is the clue that tells us that it's really different? Well, one of them says it was at Simon's house, and the indication in uh, in John is that they were at Martha and Mary and Lazarus' house. Now, John doesn't say that. No, Whose house? Say it, he just says they're in Bethany the where they live. The indication is kind of there. Okay. But that's not the key I'm looking for. I think one of the things, Mary and Martha, their family was the wealthy people in the neighborhood. And okay. so they would have had more after been able to afford the expensive Do we know that they're wealthy? How do we know that they're wealthy? I read a book. Oh. 
So, so we, yes, another thought? I think it was the woman that was the sinner and how, I don't yes. think that happened between the other parties. That's the I big difference. I think the difference is the woman who sinned entered the house and loved him in front of all of them. Yeah, I think we have a clue that these are different episodes here because one's dealing with a woman who it's clearly testified that everyone recognized her as a woman of the city who's a great sinner, probably a prostitute. And Mary and Mark, okay. Martha are not sinners. <laughs> Mary is never regarded in scripture as some type of prostitute uh-huh. or sinner. They seem to be a wholesome family that Jesus stayed with often. Now, we can't say for sure, but it does appear that these are different episodes. But it also appears that Matthew, Mark, and John's are similar in this case. Because even though John doesn't name we're at the house of Simon the leper, he says they. And when we go back to look at that whole scripture that we read in John, it seems to be that, um, that there is this the beginning, they threw him a supper party, and at the end it says many are starting to follow him. It, you get the feeling that Jesus' return to Bethany is kind of a celebrity appearance. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. We're all going to this party. Maybe they went to Simon the leper's house because his house was bigger. Could be. Mary, it does tell us that Martha serves the dinner. Okay, so that's typical for Martha. We see that in her style. So, um, so we have these similarities. Let's, let's, let's see that while we're not sure, we believe it's at Simon the leper's house, even in John. Now there is still the discrepancy of how this anointing happens. Okay, one says head, one says feet. Let's talk about the customs of the day. Luke tells us the most about the customs of the day. Jesus turns to this Pharisee, Simon, and he says, look, I came, you didn't give me any water for my feet. That was very customary. If you were going to have guests to your house, you washed their feet. Because it was dusty and dirty and they didn't wear shoes and socks like we do. And it was just a beautiful custom to offer them water. You didn't wash their feet. Let me rephrase that. Usually they had, if the per- person had servants, the servants would wash their feet. But oftentimes, you, know, you just provided water near the doorway so that they could rinse their feet off. Um, He's, Jesus says, you didn't do that for me. And, and what else does he say in Luke? He says, you didn't give me a kiss. So you didn't give me a kiss. I mean, the Middle Eastern greeting is always with a kiss to, to both cheeks usually. You know what I mean? Just both cheeks. He didn't even kiss him. And this is supposed to be a, a well, uh, you know, well-known rabbi. Jesus is considered a rabbi by many people, this well-known teacher in the city. No so, and then he didn't give him any oil. It was a custom to anoint the head with oil. Probably just a little, you know, not a whole bunch, just a little. You know, you, get, you came in from a long journey. Uh, you know, they didn't have deodorant in those days, you know. So you imagine, imagine what that would have been like, you know. Just, I guess if you didn't know you smelled bad, you didn't know you smelled bad, right? But... <laughs> And they've been on camels and all that, you know. Yeah, but we we know people. We know when people smell bad. But maybe there was this custom of oil on the head to give them a little fragrance, you know, and make them feel special. And you know, the smell of olive oil is wonderful. And, and olive oil is a beautiful smell. Yeah. So we we have this we have this customs. We see these customs, and this this Pharisee did not follow these customs. Now John doesn't tell us any of that. John doesn't, if we might be at the same Pharisee's house, we might be at another dinner party at Simon the leper's house, 
But we don't hear any of this, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you didn't do it. It doesn't tell us that in John. John is, so I'm thinking it's a different story, same guy's house. Same guy's house, different story. That's what I'm thinking. That's what a lot of scholars think. Yes? That when you were talking about raising Lazarus and it wasn't in the other Gospels? Right. This is kind of the same type of thing, and I was thinking, there's nothing that tells us that they were all, the disciples were all there. And maybe, maybe Peter wasn't there at the raising of Lazarus, and therefore his follower like Mark and like Luke mm-hmm. didn't get that story because they weren't there. That's so right. Maybe the same thing can be true here. All the disciples weren't everywhere every time. That's possibility. That's a good possibility. See, those are the type of critical thinking questions we want to ask of the text when we're trying to discern uh, these accounts. Very good. And now, the, the tomb not very far away from their home. Probably Bethany's a small village. It's probably just out. It's usually just outside the city, so they could walk to it easily. Yeah, probably very very near. Not near their house, but just right near the city walls. Mm-hmm. Now. Let's think. Let's look at a couple more in-depth things here. Um, I want to look at the reaction of these people. Okay, there's in Matthew, Mark. Uh, there's Matthew tells us the disciples were part of the complainers. Okay, uh, Mark says just some people, uh, and here in Luke it tells us that the man's the grumbler, the the Pharisee. Okay, so. I want, I want to look at the words, though. If we look, do you remember when, um, when we were learning in chapter 11, this Greek word, embremahomahi, embremahomahi, whatever it is. It's just the most, that word's going to be a, a, a hard one for me for the rest of my life. Um, it, it, remember what that meant? Does anybody remember what that meant? Yes, we studied he was it. Very indignant. It said he was de- deeply moved, but uh, some scriptures said indignant. And what did we say? Indignant in that sense, deeply moved meant righteously, righteously, righteously yeah. angry. So there was some, there was some anger, but it was righteous anger. Okay, it was because we know Christ is going to be righteous. You know, He's God, and so He's moved in His spirit. He's emotional. He's not just crying or moved because He's. Uh, human like us and just needing to cry. I mean, it's a little different. He's Remember that word is often used in Greek literature of the, the snorting of a horse's nostril or a bull's nostril. It's, it's got, you know, it's wanting to defend itself or do something and it's mad. So there's that feeling. Now, we go to this complaining group and I did a little word study here. I looked up the Greek. And we go to the verses in Matthew and in Mark where it says that they were indignant or however it's phrased here. They complain. And here's the word that's used. Agonakteo. It's a different word. It's a totally different word used of the disciples. Agonakteo. And you look it up and it means angry. Does say no connotation about anything that's necessarily righteous. Okay. Again, we see the difference in their uh, emotions versus Jesus' emotions. Now, why we can still draw even more uh, conclusions here because John tells us that it John just centers on Judas's complaint and then he tells us why he thinks Judas John really does some commentary for us here he tells us why he thinks Judas is complaining 
why do you th- what does he tell us about Judas? He's, he just calls him a thief. He says, he's a thief. He was the treasurer and he was a thief. Treasurer of their little organization. Not that they probably had a lot of money, but you know, wherever they went, probably people wanted to help fund them to buy some food. You know, like we do for missionaries, they're traveling, they're they're, they're and, and Judas apparently had control of the money back. Um, now, how many of you think you would have made the choice to put Judas in charge of the money back? Especially if you knew, if you knew his intentions were bad. Um, what does that say about Jesus? That he, what does it say about Jesus that he put Judas in charge of the money? Jesus was letting Judas have his free will. Yes, he was doing even more too. He was. He was allowing Judas to be himself and in in all of his sin, okay? He didn't demand that Judas change if you want to be part of me and my group. Think about Judas. Judas actually got to do everything the disciples got to do. The the apostles, let me use that phrase, the the final 12. He got to do everything. He got to participate in healing people. He got to sit at the table of the Last Supper. He got to have, I mean, he got to do everything that all the holy apostles did, all the while, he was a little shady character. He possibly did some healing himself. Well, yeah, he was sent out. He did. And that's my point. So, what does that teach us about the character of Jesus and how he relates to each one of us? That he still gave him his free will. I, 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 I think it goes beyond just this idea of free will. I want to, I want to concentrate on the, what? He loved Amen. Him. There's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. He loved Judas enough to let him be who he was. He loved Judas enough to let him be who he was, knowing who he was. And I believe that he was trusting Judas, even knowing his flaws, he was trusting Judas so that in hopes Judas might be saved. You see, because that's the point of the free will. Mm-hmm. Right. We, if, if everyone has free will or no one has free will, that's, right. that's got to be our theology. Yeah. Everyone has free will or no one has free will. Okay? Yeah. Judas is a human being with free will. He was loving him with agape love. And he was loving him with agape love and hoping that he would, now he knows the Jesus, Jesus is God. He knows the end of the story. He knows he's not going to. But the reality is he's showing. And we need to learn from that. Yeah. Okay? He's trusting him in, in a way that is just so beautiful. And Judas then, of course, John tells us uh, that, that he just, you know, is doing it for all the wrong reasons. He's hollering about this money. This, could have been, this, this oil could have been sold for 300 denarii. What, 300 denarii. What do we know about the money of those days? That was for years. It, a one denarii was maybe about a day's wage. So eh, if there's 300 and some days. It was approximately a whole year's wages for the average working person. That's pretty expensive perfume. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that kind of perfume for my wife. Not for $300. <laughs> you also don't buy something called Nard. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't sell today. <laughs> so... He uses a phrase called, John tells us a few things about this fragrant oil. He tells us that it's a pound. None of the others say how much it was. Oh, that's right. It's interesting. Yeah. What? A pint? Yeah, mine, okay. well, mine's a pint. Mine's a pound, but he's given us the amount, meaning it's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. It could be a pint and still weigh a pound, I yeah, guess, exactly. you know, depending on the size of it. Um, they've all told us, I, 
don't think John said it was an alabaster flask, does he? Uh, he does, uh, no, she, John doesn't say that, but the others does. tell us that. One of mine does. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was in Luke. Matthew and, Matthew and Mark and Luke all said it was an alabaster flask, oh, okay, I believe, but uh, John doesn't. But he does tell us that it's pure, yeah, pure true. nard. Whatever okay. that is. <laughs> and Luke called it spike nard. Okay, it's nard is an oil, and it's, it's, it's uh, spiked, <laughs> spike nard, with fragrances. Okay, now, in some of these, does anybody here have a scripture or a Bible that says pistic? Anybody, look at your, look at your notes there. Does it say mm-hmm. of pistic nard? Not any of Anointment, none of yours? Some of them do. Okay, some of them say it's pistic nard. P-I-S-T-I-C, pistic nard. Um, pistic nard is from the pistachio nut. It's oil from the pistachio nut. In the original, it says in the original Greek, it tells us it's, in the original Greek, it tells us it's pistic nard, okay? Some English use that pistic, but not very many, apparently. <laughs> no one in this room does. Cook down then to make so it into a salve? They, they, make, they make it into an ointment, and they use the oil, they press it, you know? But this idea that it's fragrant, it's used at burials oftentimes. Um, why did they use ointments at burials? Why did they need to? Because there was no such thing. They didn't do any embalming. And the idea was to just preserve the smell of the body a little longer, as long as you could. Um, but in this case, uh, interesting, does anybody, I want to teach you another Greek word here. It's an interesting word. It's called pistis. And it appears to have some root to the word pistic. Does anybody know what this word means in Greek? Pistis. It means faith. Isn't that cool? It means faith. So this, this oil, if it indeed was a pistic nard, it was a nard of faith. It, it, it's to represent her faith. She has so much. She takes the most precious thing that she has. Uh, I mean, a year's worth of wages. This is like their savings account. Nobody had that kind of money in those days, especially common people. And she uses it all on Jesus in this anointing. Amazing. Why? Because she has faith. She knows this is the Son of God. She knows. I mean, she doesn't know everything that entails. She just knows that he is who he says he is. He's her Lord. He's her Savior. Yes? Is there any correlation between Simon not even using olive oil on Jesus with the lady giving olive Yeah, oil? there's a big contrast, isn't there? I mean, he wouldn't even... He didn't even give him a oil. drop of oil. So, Plain oil. <laughs> where the ladies were... <laughs> ladies were extravagant. So what yeah. does that say about Simon? What does that say about Simon? Yeah. A Pharisee. Yeah. yeah. That'd be quite a... Yeah. You know, far apart between yeah. just plain olive oil and this, this pistic uh, pure nard. Yes. Uh, now, uh, about the oil, the one lady broke the jar and put the whole thing on him. That's right. Mm-hmm. At the other house, she put some on, and Jesus said, Leave her alone. She's saving the rest for my funeral. Yeah. That's true. So that's yeah. not even, that's a difference. And look at the words here. When John, John, John tells us, I, I'm glad you brought that up, because in this section, it's in verse uh, 7, Jesus said, this is in John now, our, our text for the day, let her alone, let her keep it for my burial. Mm-hmm. She's already using it. 
but yet he's telling her, let her alone, keep it for my burial. Mm -hmm. um, we, again, let's go back to the Greek and let's look at this word keep. And in the Greek, that word can also mean, to, the, the Greek word is T-E-R-E-O, tereo, okay? Terero, terero. Keep, it also means observe. It's used of observing a law or observing a commandment. Keeping a law or keeping a commandment. Mm. And so in her using it, she is actually observing something. She's observing a custom. And so it could be, she maybe used it all. Maybe she didn't. We know that uh, she's done it lavishly. Let's, let's, look, let's look back here. At, um, we get the feeling that she was using it all. If we look back, let's go back all the way to Matthew. Was it Matthew, I think, that said? Uh, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very fragrant oil, and she costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head, um, giving us the sense that, that she's pouring it all out. Doesn't say, doesn't say that she anointed his head. And if you anoint somebody, you're just using a little. Okay? But she poured it. Well, then the John, understanding is that maybe she used it all. The NIV in John says, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard. It was an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. So the, in, the inference is that maybe she used it all. Yeah. Uh, I think, let's see what Mark here says again. I want to catch that. And having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, she broke the flask. So it was something that was sealed, okay, for keeping for something special. Now that they broke the bottle, but they broke the seal. It doesn't tell us. It just says she broke the flask. Well, the flask is typically the bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, don't ask me how that was manufactured and made into a bottle that was sealed in that day. I don't know. But it, it was, and she poured it on his head. Again, there's this idea that maybe she poured it all out. Um, and and the, the lavishness of using it, if it couldn't be resealed, uh, then odds are she probably used it all. Um, John's concentrating on the feet. The others say the head. Which is it? Could it be both? Right. It could be both. Custom, maybe, maybe John is telling us, and, and notice the others when they talk about in, in, in Luke, the, the different, what I believe is a different episode. In Luke, she anoints the feet with tears, it says, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then pours the oil on the head. Symbolically, I think John is showing us something about the feet of Jesus. Washing his feet, so to speak. His feet are... To approach him at his feet would be to approach him in humility. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. To bow down before him. I'm not worthy to anoint your head, so I'll anoint your feet type of thing. Yeah. Okay? Although she may well have gone ahead then after being humbled like that and poured the rest on his head. We just don't know exactly. Okay? But we do know there is... The custom of anointing heads, the custom of washing feet, she seems to do both, and she does it in a way that's very humble and a very faith-filled offering. I'm going to give you everything I have. No doubt, Mary, in John's story, this is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, no doubt Mary is giving up everything. It's probably her life savings. Maybe 
even reserved for holding it for, for her own burial or something, something or her mother's or whoever's, you know, the special person. But the idea is giving everything to Jesus the love. in the love and faith and understanding that this is my Lord. He raised my brother from the dead. I mean, she just is embracing him. Um, there's so much to, to talk about here. Uh, let's look at, at um, Jesus' thought here when he says, you know, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She's anointing me for my burial. Was, was that because when he when they brought him down from the cross, it was late in the day, mm-hmm. right? I always interpreted this as being the actual whatever burial process or mm-hmm. anointing process they went through. You're right. I, that's what I've always thought that this she was doing. What needed to be done, but before, while he was still alive. Yes, because when he actually dies, they don't have time. They have to hurriedly take him down from the cross, wrap him up, put him in the tomb. All got to be done before sundown. They didn't have the time. They don't know they're not going to have the time. But she is anoint. She's anointing him literally for his burial. This is the only anointing Jesus really got. Because remember, in the resurrection story, it tells us that the women were headed to the tomb for what? They were going to anoint the body then. The first chance they they couldn't do it on the Sabbath, you know. Jesus, you know, they couldn't do that, so they had to wait till Sunday. And they're going there to anoint the body because they think it needs it. Right? Yeah, they would never be able to do that. When they anointed him, I mean, when they when they wrapped them, were there spices included in the wrapping? And not necessarily. If they have time, they would anoint the body first, and then, of course, use the wrappings. Whether the whether the wrappings are soaked in the spices or something, again, that takes time, and they didn't really have time to do that on the cross when they took him down from the cross. Um, so Jesus' burial was in such haste, and none of them could have predicted that. It is it is prophetic that she is truly anointing him for his burial, and Jesus uses those words: "Leave her alone. She's anointing me for my burial." Now, I don't think anyone in the room figured out what he was going to die in. In a few more days, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't know that yet. They hadn't. They they didn't have he that kind of. They just didn't understand. Yeah, he told them. He's told them over and over. I'm going to Jerusalem to die, but they didn't quite understand. They're probably thinking, "Well, what is he talking about? Someday, sure, yeah, it's a long time from now. You'll be buried." But but then he also uses this phrase at the end here. It says in uh, verse verse eight, "The poor you will always have with you." I love this phrase. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. What do you think Jesus meant by that phrase? That's part of his admonition for let her do it. Let her do it. Because you've always, you know, the the big argument here is you could have sold this and given it to the poor. Jesus says, well, you know the poor you'll always have with you. You can always take care of the poor because the poor are going to be here. He's not. Right. There's always, you're never going to miss an opportunity to help someone else. But you might not have all this, that many opportunities to do something really important for the Lord. I mean, and I think he's trying to say to us and to them, don't miss this opportunity because he's God. The, Lord, the work we do for the Lord has to come first. 
And I think there's something to this. I think so many people, so many churches, so many people, we, we get so caught up in doing for the poor and doing for the poor. And believe me, I'm in favor of that. And it's beautiful and it's good. But what do we really do for Jesus? What do we do for Jesus? We say, oh, well, Jesus says, as long as you do it for the least of these, you do it unto me. Yes, I understand that. But is there a place in the life of the worshiper of God to pay special attention to our personal worship of our Lord? I think that's something Jesus is trying to tell us here. Don't miss the opportunities that you have to do something special for Jesus himself. In the name of, oh, I'm busy doing it for the poor, because there will always be another opportunity. doesn't mean don't do it for the poor. Okay? This is don't confuse the two. Because it's important to do for Christ as well. Challenging thoughts here. Um, very challenging thoughts. I, I think it's interesting to, to put all these four stories on one uh, table and just try and look at each of them and figure out who's who, what's what, and what's happening. And it's a good illustration of how the Gospels fulfill different roles in our, in our lives, in our studies. John has all of these unique comments about Judas, about uh, Mary, uh, and, and it's, it's, totally, uh, it's totally unique. John's Gospel is just totally unique. Now, one thing we haven't talked about, we want to do before we close today. How did this woman, in this case we're going to say Mary, how did this Mary, the other one where it said a sinner, people acquaint that with Mary Magdalene, so some people think that's Mary, although the text doesn't tell us it's Mary Magdalene, but some people, scholars would equate that. But in this case, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, how does she anoint him and how does she dry his feet or whatever, wipe it with her hair? Did you catch that? Did you catch the use of her hair? Mm-hmm. Now, if you were a first century Jew, that would shock you. But to us, it might be a little shocking to think, I don't want that sticky goop in my hair, you know, or something like that. But um, for them, for, that means she had to take her veil off. A woman in the Middle Eastern custom never was without her veil, even in uh, her own home, especially if there were guests there. I never thought about that. She was never without her veil. She had to take her veil off, let her hair down. They all had long hair. Okay, there were, you can get haircuts in those days. Did prostitutes wear heralds? If they were walking down public streets, they probably, a lot of them did, although in certain times I'm sure they didn't, and that's why they saw them as, you know, it was kind of an obvious sign of a woman who didn't care. But, but the custom was you wear them. And so for her to take that off and just let her hair flow and then to wipe, wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, that's pretty amazing stuff. Could, I'm just thinking, could there have been not in a house, but maybe in a courtyard where people could walk in more easily than just to walk in a house? Could be, yeah. The houses had courtyards. We could have a dinner party in a courtyard. It would be considered part of their home, yeah. yeah. It's possible. Um, what does it say to you that this woman was willing to use something as intimate and personal as her own hair to go ahead and wipe off his feet. What does that say to you? Does it say anything to you? That she loved him. There, I think so too. I think it's an intimacy. I think it's a, 
it's a part of, it's, it's just something more intimate than just, oh, hey, by the way, I've anointed him. Can somebody throw me a towel? You know, let's, let's politely wipe his feet down now or whatever. I, I think this is an intimacy to just use. What do I have? I have this long hair. I'm just going to use it. And it's part of me. You know, my hair's part of me. And she's touching him with it. And she's uh, caring for him with it. I, I, I think it's a beautiful, intimate picture that we don't want to miss. And she didn't really go out and help Martha very much because Martha asked yeah. the Lord to send me. And he said, leave her alone. She's doing what's good. Yeah, these stories of Martha doing all the cooking and the house cleaning yeah. and Mary's where? Always at Jesus' feet. So there was a different relationship that she had with mm-hmm. And it shows the difference in our personalities. You know, Jesus, we, we, all, we all have different personalities. We all show it differently. But the gospel tells us these stories, these little tidbits for a reason. Um, so spiritually drawn to him, too. Spiritually, mm-hmm. deeply spiritually drawn. I think she saw an insight into the, the spiritual realm that maybe the others didn't see at the time. I think you're right. Yes. You think this might be it? For some of the critics of Jesus, it's the idea that he may have been romantically connected to this woman. Yeah, there are many critics of Jesus uh, that have these ideas, uh, and and they're just obviously flawed ideas. But yeah, I think so. You, see how uh, they you can see how they would infer that. And and when you consider that the very the, the, in Luke's story, the woman is a prostitute more than likely. She's definitely a, a sinner of some kind, and she's the one wiping his hair and doing the, a similar type action, which maybe infers some intimacy. So there are some critics of Jesus that think that way. Was it a law that the women had to keep their hair covered up? I, I don't know if it was a law or a custom. That's a great, you know, we know today in the Muslim world it's a law. But I, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure if it was an actual law of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. I, I'm thinking more it was a custom, but uh, that's a good question. I'll try and find that out. Berkeley is a Muslim thing and not a... It's a term they use today in their culture, um, yeah, particular one. But the idea of the veil is very uh, common in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you know, just all over. Yes? There's some place in in the Bible that uh, if a woman cuts her hair, she has to always be able to go into church. She always has to have her head covered because uh, her hair is her husbands of the men's glory. Mm. Yeah. And then the Bible, I can't remember where it is. Uh, I worked with some yeah. people that never get their hair. Some Pentecostal women are like that sometimes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's considered the glory of their, yeah. Mm-hmm. Either one of my grandmothers cut their hair. I mean, they trimmed them mm-hmm. kind of, but mm-hmm. not really cut it because mm-hmm. my, my mother's uh, uh, mother, her hair was almost to the floor when she passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Isn't she it? always... Wrapped it and amazing. put it in a bun. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It was a drawback to a very ancient uh, custom there. And of course, my grandma Patterson did the same thing. Yeah. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? We're going to move on next week uh, beyond this story. We'll pick up in, in 12. This is going to be the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as John tells it, in uh, starting with verse 12. So we'll pick that up next week. But but uh, this, was, uh, this was a good... A good lesson to let us look at the Gospels in harmony, where they harmonize and where they're different, uh, because they are all different. Well, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I, I just thank you for this group that is willing to come and spend some time studying your word. And I pray
pray that you would always inhabit our study, that you would guide and lead us, that you would cover over anything I teach that's wrong, and just let your spirit lead us and guide us. So thank you for the, the beauty of your word today. Uh, Father, we ask this in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.